I am a fantasy football renaissance man. I say that because on playerprofiler.com, you can now find dynasty rankings, redraft rankings, and weekly rankings all available on playerprofiler.com. Why do you pay money to access those rankings? Number one, it helps you set your lineup and win money at fantasy football. Number two, the weekly rankings include precise point projections, and you can use those to create daily fantasy lineups and make money. And another reason to purchase the rankings is because the rankings also come complete with a lineup optimizer for DFS. And I know what a lot of you are thinking. Yeah, great. You're a renaissance man. You know a little bit about a bunch of things, but you're an expert at none. Well, that's incorrect. I'm actually an expert in all three because this is all I do, is fantasy football. I don't have a day job, and I pay no attention to sports like baseball, basketball. I'm only football all the time. That allows me to dive deeply into dynasty and redraft and daily fantasy. And when I started this endeavor, I thought that dynasty leagues would be the most challenging, and that redraft leagues would be medium challenging, and that daily fantasy was really a math equation, and that was going to be the least challenging. As it turns out, the opposite is true. I did not see this coming. Dynasty is much more straightforward and much easier to dominate than any of the other formats. Redraft is redraft. It's challenging, but very solvable. Daily fantasy is very challenging. When I focus my attention on collecting information and learning, my intellectual curiosity often bends toward daily fantasy. I wrote a whole book on Dynasty League football because for me it was very easy. Most Dynasty League players aren't trying to win. You could write a 120-page book, as I did, that completely revolves around how you can win your Dynasty League by just trying to win. Most Dynasty League enthusiasts are not wired to win. They're wired to collect. They're collectors. They would rather invest in the upside stash than the guy that can help them week in, week out. And that is the fatal flaw of Dynasty Leagues. And that's why they're so much easier to dominate than redraft leagues and daily fantasy. That's why my Dynasty League book, you can find it, the Dynasty Dominator on playerprofiler.com, it wrote itself. Because Dynasty Leaguers want to accumulate picks. They don't want to accumulate talent. You had Dynasty League owners this past offseason trading Antonio Brown for multiple future first-round picks because he's past the age apex. Yeah, okay. Good luck ever winning your Dynasty League trading Antonio Brown at this point for a bunch of picks. I mean, that perfectly illustrated why so many Dynasty Leaguers never win their league and why the same guys year in, year out win their Dynasty Leagues. But that's not to say in playing in Dynasty Leagues and analyzing Dynasty Leagues, there weren't lessons learned. One of the lessons that I learned was you're better off taking even players with questionable talent if you know they're going to get playing time as opposed to the players that you feel strongly are talented but do not have a straightforward path to playing time. So last year, I was stashing Terrell Watson and Michael Campanaro, and those were wasted roster slots in Dynasty. So I've changed my tactics. With my Dynasty League taxi squads, I'm much more likely to stash a Quinton Patton, who is technically the starter for San Francisco, as opposed to someone like Michael Campanaro or someone like Chris Moore on the Baltimore Ravens. And I talk about this in the book. In Dynasty, you want to capitalize on players that play and score fantasy points and their values rise. It's why it was a good idea to stash Kamar Aiken last year over someone like Brian Quick or Paul Richardson. 
Kamar Aiken has accrued value. Paul Richardson and Brian Quick have lost value. Why did Kamar Aiken accrue value? Because he was just around. He was just a healthy body that was around absorbing targets, posting fantasy viable weeks, and naturally his value quickly rose. So even though you've never heard me touting Quentin Patton on this show ever, I'm stashing him in many leagues because he is projected to receive a reasonable number of targets in 2016. And if he's playing inside, the one thing you like about Quentin Patton is he has that upper percentile agility score, a 1092, 81st percentile agility score for Quentin Patton to go along with a 40.6%, 78th percentile college dominator. So while he was an old breakout player, low college yards per reception, low burst, average speed, he looks like a replacement level wide receiver, he does have college dominance, and he does have great agility on his resume, and that points to a player who could be a volume slot receiver in that San Francisco 49ers pass offense and accrue significant resale value in Dynasty Leagues. Dynasty Leagues aren't hard. That's the move. Roster all the Quentin Pattons and let your league mates roster all the Chris Moores. It's really that simple. In redraft leagues, that's where I've spent the majority of my time over the last three or four years compiling intellectual capital. Now I feel like holstering the zero RB strategy and some prescient takes on individual players were able to provide truly valuable redraft fantasy league advice. Now that takes me to daily fantasy. In the last few months, daily fantasy has been where I've been focusing my attention. I've been trying to learn as much as I can. That's where my intellectual curiosity is often pointed. After spending years trying to master the redraft format, I now have an affinity for the challenge that is daily fantasy. And I believe that this year on playerprofiler.com will be by far and away our best year in terms of weekly rankings and projections and our recommendations for daily fantasy. We have the optimal lineup generator. And one of my favorite fantasy football podcasts is the Fantasyland podcast by Rotoviz. Rotoviz does a great job with their podcasts. I was on the Rotoviz report earlier in the week. So go to iTunes, search for Rotoviz Radio, and you can listen to the Rotoviz report with Heath K. I had a lot of fun trying to ruin the no shit, shit, no segment. Harkening back to some of those shows I did with Matthew Friedman. We'll have Matthew Friedman on this show soon. One of the first podcasts I ever appeared on was the Road of His Radio Show with John Moore. And the guest co-host for that show was Davis Maddock. Davis Maddock is going to be joining us today because I want to talk about daily fantasy. I'm not a daily fantasy expert. I'm a daily fantasy analyst who is working hard to accumulate expertise in the area. Even though that's my current expertise status, I still think it's in your best interest to go to playerprofiler.com and sign up for the rankings and get access to this lineup optimizer. The computer loves playing two tight ends this week on DraftKings in particular. There's some incredible values at the tight end position on DraftKings. Vance McDonald, $3,100. Austin Safarian Jenkins, $2,800. Austin Safarian Jenkins, in week one of 2015, when Austin Safarian Jenkins was 22 years old, he had two touchdowns. Delani Walker is only 4,500 on DraftKings. Kyle Rudolph's 3,000. The computer really wants to get these players in your lineup in GPPs in particular. On that Fantasyland podcast, Peter Jennings talked about the two tight end strategy and how that's an easy way to create a unique lineup and get variants on your competitors in guaranteed prize pool tournaments. 
And the two tight end set is the theme of our DraftKings GPP lineups. Now, I say lineups because we offer 10 lineups with our lineup optimizer, not just one. Most people just give you one optimal lineup. We give you one optimal cash lineup and 10 optimal tournament lineups. In the tournament lineups, we turn up the volatility. So if a player is like Deshaun Jackson and he oscillates wildly back and forth week to week, 30 points, 3 points, 30 points, 3 points. Think Shane Vereen last year, super high volatility at the running back position. Tyler Lockett, high volatility at the wide receiver position last year. Well, we put a premium on volatility in the GPP lineups, and then we discount the volatility in cash games. So we release these lineups on Tuesdays or Wednesday, and then later in the week, once the ownership percentages come out, we comb through the ownership percentages, and then we remove the highest owned players from the GPPs to help ensure that our GPP lineups are not just high volatility, they're also higher variance. And you're not just playing the same chalk player in your tournaments that, that literally every other player is playing. The chalkiest of the chalk players this week is Spencer Ware. We're going to ask Davis Maddock about Spencer Ware and how high his ownership percentage has to be before Davis Maddock is going to get off Spencer Ware in GPPs. Now, the FanDuel lineup optimizer has my favorite lineup. Stacking the Indianapolis-Detroit game is my tip of the week. Other than Kobe Fleener, I'm staying away from the New Orleans-Oakland game because Oakland doesn't want an up-tempo game. Oakland has a good defense and a good offensive line. They want to run Latavius Murray. It's not going to be giant saints in the bayou in week one. It's just not going to be that. When you look at the total points scored over-unders in Vegas, there's only a one-point difference between Saints-Raiders and Colts-Lions. And I believe Vegas has it wrong. I think Colts-Lions is going to be the highest scoring game of the week. Both those teams run a lot of no huddle and a lot of shotgun offense. They have explosive wide receivers on the outside, below average defenses, and they're playing in a dome. That game checks all the shootout boxes we're looking for. That could very easily be a 45-41 game. And for that reason, the number one lineup on the playerprofiler.com lineup optimizer for FanDuel for week one is Andrew Luck, Todd Gurley, Theo Riddick, Golden Tate, T.Y. Hilton, Marvin Jones, Rob Gronkowski, Nick Novak, and the Houston Texans. We have nine more lineups. Go to playerprofiler.com and check them out. Now, let's go talk to the Davis Maddock from Fantasy Insiders. Follow him at Davis Maddock on Twitter and see if he's doing a full game stack of the Indianapolis-Detroit game like we are. And during this conversation with Davis Maddock, I want you to check out Apex Fantasy Leagues. It's an exciting place to play seasonal fantasy football for money. They have a skill-based format that mitigates randomness. The platform features blind bidding, i.e. fair free agent acquisitions, and two matchups per week versus the old single head-to-head -head matchups. So whether or not you win the league isn't nearly as susceptible to randomness as other high-stakes leagues. So go to apexfantasyleagues.com and sign up today, literally today, because the season starts tomorrow. Now, let's go talk to Davis Maddock. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Podcast, Davis Maddock. Talk to me, Davis. Talk to me. Dude, it's fucking football season, man. <laughs> I know, right? Let's just let's just do it. Let's just cut loose. Let's just like hot take. Like I'm I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so ready. I couldn't be more ready. There's one player who's been a consistent theme throughout all of our conversations for years. 
on this podcast, on the Road of His Radio podcast. It's Jeff Janis. People want us to talk Janice when we get together, so we're going to come right out of the box. We're going to give you your Janice, give you your fix, so then you can lay back in your chair and you can just relax while we talk about other things. But I really do want people to have their Janice talk up front. Essentially, he's trying to play through a broken bone in his hand because he has a passion for the game that is matched by very few other players. He's probably not actually going to get in the game for at least a few more weeks, but he's amazing. I want him to be in the game very much. I think that his path to playing time is a lot easier this year than it was last year. So what's your outlook on Janice? What are you feeling? like? Just got, just tap into the universe. And, and what do you foresee with Jeff Janice this year? Give them like a month of trying to rely on Jared Aberderis and Devontae Adams before he plays. I really believe in my heart of hearts that McCarthy and Rodgers really believe that these guys can play. And let me tell you this. I went to the Chiefs-Packers week four preseason game. Jared Aberderis played that whole game. This guy is not a football player. He just cannot be out there. He's not good at anything. And at least Janice, like, Janice has problems that apparently make Rodgers really mad. You know, actually, you know what the biggest impact of this whole thing is? Fuck Aaron Rodgers. That's, that is my biggest takeaway from this whole Jeff Janice thing, is that Aaron Rodgers doesn't know what's good for him. Thank you. That's what I've been saying. This is actually mostly Aaron Rodgers' fault. It is. Because Aaron Rodgers could make all this Jeff Janis nonsense noise go away by just going to Mike McCarthy's office and saying, I want Jeff Janis on the field because I want to win football games. Period. He gives us the best chance to win, Mike. And then all these coaching biases would just be completely nullified, but he refuses to do that. Aaron Rodgers is a company man. I, I didn't think that he was like that. I didn't think he was that guy. He's a company man. He is, and he's just like a, he's kind of a guy, he's kind of a member of the old guard. Like, he just, he's like, ah, Janice can't run the right route, so I'm going to keep force-feeding targets to Devontae Adams, who's the worst player in football. Right. I know you were criticizing Jared Arborderis. I actually think Jared Arborderis has a role on an NFL team somewhere, just based on the fact that he's 6'1", has a great agility score. I think he can play slot at replacement level. I mean, that's not great. We've seen that happen. Danny Amendola be fantasy viable with a great quarterback in Tom Brady last year. Yeah. And I think Jared Arborderis has that in his range of outcomes. I don't see any NFL success in Devontae Adams' range of outcomes. I have a new crying Jordan meme. It's this amazing post route run by Devontae Adams where the ball was perfectly placed. He had to just go up and catch it for a touchdown. 93% of wide receivers convert that touchdown, and it clanked off his hands in a comic fashion. So it was just perfect for me. I mean, that's it. I mean, that was the distillation of Devontae Adams right there and why he shouldn't be on the field. And I agree with you. There's going to be some Jeff Janis buzz come October. Just get everybody ready for it. It's going to happen. They didn't cut him. They could have cut him. He was never going to be cut. They could have cut him. The broken hand gave them an excuse to cut him. If they really wanted to cut him, if they really didn't like him as a player, if they really felt he didn't have that much use and he was just a fan favorite they were trying to keep around 
and they could use him on special teams. That guy doesn't make the roster with a broken hand. They know that they have something in Jeff Janis. That's why he made the team. And they didn't put him on the short-term IR either. They want him on the field as soon as possible. 100%. 100%. I mean, he won him a fucking playoff game. He's not getting cut. And he's like the best special teamer ever. He like, because he can return punts, kicks, he can gun, he can, like, he just doesn't care. He just loves to play. He just wants to be out there. Do you want to know when it occurred to me that this is Aaron Rodgers' fault and Aaron Rodgers is kind of a douchebag? Let's, let's see it. I heard Aaron Rodgers interviewed on the Dan Lebertard show on ESPN, and they asked him about the double Hail Mary, and they were just celebrating it, and it was just a circle jerk of a conversation, right? Just one of those circle jerk football conversations. They talked about the mechanics of that play and that game leading up to that play for six, seven minutes. How many times do you think Aaron Rodgers uttered the words Jeff Janis in that entire conversation? I mean, it has to be zero. It's, it has to it be like... Fucking zero, Davis. It was fucking zero. Yeah, fuck, fuck Aaron Rodgers. We, we are not Rodgers, Dan. He took all the credit for it in this really sort of, oh, guys, you know, it really wasn't me, but oh, shucks, I guess it was me. Right. It wasn't all me, but yeah, I guess it was all me if I really think about it. But I've really never really thought about it too much until you guys brought it up. Fuck you, Aaron Rodgers. Say his name. He's the reason. Dick. I, how can he not give him credit? Like how? It, it didn't occur to him. It, it just didn't occur to him. His ego is in such a place that he feels like he can win with anybody out there. Clearly, because it doesn't even cross his mind to mention the guy that went up in front of two defenders, skied, high-pointed, reeled in the catch as guys were trying to knock the ball away, clutching it on the ground. We talked about how Devontae Adams clanked a pass. 93% of other wide receivers would have converted. 7% of NFL wide receivers would have converted that second Hail Mary that Jeff Janis converted. This idea that, oh, it was just a Hail Mary, it was just a fluke, anyone can catch a Hail Mary, that was Aaron Rodgers. That's wrong. Go back and watch that play. That was sublime athleticism at the highest level. That's what Jeff Janis brings to the table. That's what he does. That's what he does. That's why you draft him. Yes, he needs to be on your watch list. No one's drafting him right now because of the broken hand. I love the broken hand because the broken hand means I don't have to roster him on the back of my bench just for posterity. I can leave him on the waiver wire and read the tea leaves based on performances the prior week and start to roster him a week ahead of the crowd. That's going to be my plan in late September, early October. Yeah, uh, like he he's going to be a guy like we talk about potential league winners. If if Aaron Rodgers gets over his own ego, Jeff Janis is a potential league winner. I can win with anybody out there. Just give me Jared Arbordaris and Ty Montgomery and Super Bowl. Get, get the hell out of here. How'd it work out last year, Aaron? No, yeah, exactly. Okay, with James Jones, your buddy. <laughs> I mean, the number one thing their offense was missing last year was a vertical threat, and they tried to make Devontae Adams that guy, and he's not that guy. Aaron Rodgers thinks he can fit a football through a keyhole at 60 yards, and I get it. He's really accurate with the deep ball. He's really accurate everywhere. He's one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen, but it's nice to have super athletic compliment to your skill set. This is how Super Bowls are won. Quarterback wide receiver tandems, not quarterback to James Jones fart noises. Now, 
Last year, a league winner was David Johnson, and you picked him up in October, November, and then... Oh, no, I just drafted him in every league. Oh, I'm saying you could have. In a lot of leagues, he was dropped. So you could have, if you weren't Davis Maddock or Matt Kelly, you could have picked up David Johnson in October as other fantasy owners soured on him. They thought it was Chris Johnson's team, and then David Johnson gets the opportunity and hasn't looked back since. What we saw in David Johnson from David Johnson at the end of last season and into the playoffs was what we always knew David Johnson was. If you go to playerprofiler.com, you see 48% college dominator, 87th percentile. You see 5.4 yards per carry with huge volume, with a huge workload. That's not a bad yards per carry at the college level. 14.4%, 93rd percentile college target share, 95th percentile Spark X score, just across the board from bench press to 40 time to burst score to agility score. David Johnson's in the 75th percentile or above. He's the goat. He was a ridiculously productive player and an incredible athlete. He gets to the next level. Of course, he's going to dominate. It surprised no one yet. You keep hearing these debates on the major sports media networks and their fantasy affiliates debating David Johnson. Was he a fluke? Was he a one hit wonder? And I'm sitting here thinking, guys, there are plenty of small sample size flukes that you need to be suspicious of the following year. David Johnson's not one of them. No, he's 0% a guy you should worry about. Like, his ceiling is even higher than what he did last year because they might run more. We have no idea. It's very exciting to think about what a player that's 6'1", 225, with those kinds of receiving skills and athleticism, what he can do in the Cardinals' offense. I mean, it's everything. It's all the intrinsic qualities that you want all mixed. Like, if we built a running back in a lab, Davis, out would walk David Johnson if he had all the perfect attributes that we were looking for, and then you go ahead and drop him on the Arizona Cardinals' offense, and all these external forces are starting to work in his favor, there's a reason why we have him as the number one running back on our redraft board, and... For me, there was a considerable gap between David Johnson and the next running back on the list, Todd Gurley. We were in a draft together, the Friends of Roto World draft. You actually took David Johnson in the first round. Walk us through your logic there. I mean, David Johnson is the first overall pick for me. I'll take him over Beckham. I'll take him over Antonio Brown and have done so um, in several drafts. I think that if you want one guy who legitimately is so great that he can win you a league just based on his weekly performance, I think it's David Johnson. I, I do think there are... We know... So I actually think Antonio Brown's ceiling is a little bit less than it was last year because I think that offense is worse without Bryant and especially those first three games without Bell. I think he'll make up for it in volume. But if you told me that at the end of the year, David Johnson has 2,300 combo yards, 60 receptions, and 25 total touchdowns, I don't even blink. I don't even blink at that stat line. Do you know whose profile David Johnson's looks like from the past? But if we had to go back in time... He looks strikingly similar to LaDainian Tomlinson, and he was actually a better receiver at the college level than LaDainian Tomlinson ever was at TCU. If we're trying to chase the next LaDainian Tomlinson, you need to be focused on David Johnson for the reasons we just outlined. He checks all the boxes. He's the perfect running back. There's nothing to debate. There's no reason to debate 
His ability. No, there's no debate. He is one of the handful of chosen one talents in the league, and spending one second debating his ability is a waste of time. You can talk about any other player in the league. You can talk about Jared Abraderis, and that's a more fruitful conversation than debating David Johnson's ability. Correct. Yeah, David Johnson is is not only the best running back for fantasy, he's just the best running back in the NFL. Period. David Johnson is so good that if the Cardinals would have spent a first-round pick on him, I wouldn't have even said it was a bad pick. Like, I think Gurley was a terrible pick by the Rams, and Gurley might even be a generational talent, but David Johnson is so good that he would have been worth a first-round NFL draft pick. Well, Gurley's the other guy that looks strikingly similar to LaDainian Tomlinson because in his second year at Georgia, Todd Gurley posted a 10.9%, 77th percentile college target share. He had over 30 receptions for the Bulldogs as a sophomore, so he actually is a good route runner with good hands out of the backfield. He is another one of those running backs who checks all the boxes, except... He's on the Los Angeles Rams. He's not on the Arizona Cardinals. That's a huge difference. The Rams will be losing a lot of games. The Cardinals will be winning a lot of games. You want the running backs on teams that are winning a lot of games. That's a that's a chasm of a difference. That is what makes up the difference between the David Johnson redraft rank at number one and the wide distance to Todd Gurley at number two. But those are the two players that if you're chasing a Ladanian Tomlinson season, those would be the two to draft. You don't want to take a risk on someone like Ezekiel Elliott. I'm not buying that this is Lamar Miller's year to be the number one running back in fantasy. I'm not buying the Lamar Miller thing at all. Get out of here. Well, just because he's outclassed by a wide margin by David Johnson and Todd Gurley. So if you want to have a conversation about who's better, Todd Gurley or David Johnson, that's a great debate, especially in a vacuum if you take them off their respective teams. But I think you were right. When you drafted David Johnson in that Friends of Roto World draft, I was surprised because I imagined you, like a lot of my peers, would be going wide receiver early. And you shocked me by drafting David Johnson where you did. But it was one of those things where it only took me a couple seconds of thought before it clicked. And I said, yeah, he knows what he's doing here. He's chasing a Ladanian season, and that's 100%. a potential league winner right there. Yeah, 100%. And the way that draft worked out was I did I, I saw pretty early on that the, the zero wide receiver stuff was going to get crazy, and I knew that taking DJ just put me behind at wide receiver anyways. So I decided to smash some uh, some of my favorite running back targets. And I, I my team looks very different from everyone else in that league, but I really like how that team turned out. But we talk about variance all the time in DFS. You have variance in a redraft context. A lot of us with similar sensibilities and similar player evaluation methodologies all went zero RB. Some of us are going to flame out hard and you are actually the contrarian in the group and it's always good to be that one contrarian. Right, because if if two other people had decided to do robust, robust running back, my team would be terrible. I would just have nothing. Right, so what you're doing is you're drafting David Johnson and then you're praying that you're the only guy doing this. And then when Todd Gurley goes off the board, you're praying that that person's next pick is a wide receiver. And sure enough, it was. It was, yeah. And then you became the guy with the running back stronghold. 
And in general, I like that strategy. I like going super strong at a particular position. If I'm going to go zero RB, I'm going to go pure zero RB. I'm going to go full commando style, no running back underwear. That's what you did. But we know it's PPR and you have to get wide receivers. You just have to. So I saw that you did take Dante Moncrief and that was a tremendous pick. You took him at the end of the second round, beginning of the third round, which is as early as you're seeing Moncrief going, but you had to take him there because you know he would have been gone because there was so much wide receiver action early. Plus, you also knew that the people in that draft room with you also value players like Dante Moncrief on those kinds of offenses. What is your prediction about the Dante Moncrief ascendance this year? How steep is it going to be? How beautiful of a fireworks display in the sky will Dante Moncrief be in 2016? Dante Moncrief is going to finish as a top 10 fantasy wide receiver. He's going to score 13 touchdowns and he's going to lead the Colts in targets. Why not? He's better than T.Y. Hilton in a vacuum. That's exactly right. I think if, like we talked about, putting players in a vacuum, taking them off their teams, and then saying, who would you rather have? If you're a GM starting a franchise tomorrow, who would you rather have? I would take Dante Moncrief over T.Y. Hilton because it's easier to find T.Y. Hilton archetype wide receivers in the NFL, those field stretchers. They have another one on the team, Davis. Philip Dorsett looks a lot like T.Y. Hilton. Well, I think Dorsett's probably a trash player and probably a trash draft pick, but I like him for fantasy now. Absolutely a trash draft pick. You don't draft a redundant asset in the first round. I and mean, that's it's like the first day of GM school. You don't draft a redundant asset in the first round, particularly a 5'10", 185-pound wide receiver. You just don't do that. Philip Dorsett's college dominator was better than it looks because it was 32.6%, but he did that in his final year with a rookie quarterback, not necessarily comfortable throwing it downfield. But if you watch some of those Miami games, when Brad Kaya did summon the courage to throw it downfield, Philip Dorsett went up like Deshaun Jackson and made some serious, high degree of difficulty, high ball skill plays on deep passes. I like to see those college wide receivers with good catch rates on deep balls because it's a high degree of difficulty. It's a lot easier to catch balls close to the line of scrimmage. Talk to Kevin White about that. Kevin White was a compiler at the college level. His low college yards per reception revealed that he was an overrated player. He was just fed ridiculous volume at West Virginia. Philip Dorsett was the opposite of Kevin White while he was at Miami. He had to produce on very low volume, and that's where you see that college yards per reception, 24.2, 98th percentile. T.Y. Hilton had some big boom weeks in the last few years based mostly on catching some of these deep balls from Andrew Luck. The problem with T.Y. Hilton for me is that a lot of those are going to go to Philip Dorsett in three receiver sets now. 100%. Yeah, I, I mean, I have some T.Y. Hilton shares, but I'm not I'm not close to like overweight on him or anything. Like, I, I the guy you want is Moncrief, and the guy you want after that with their associated costs is definitely Dorsett. That's right. Yeah, I think Dorsett and Moncrief are pretty much equivalent in terms of value. You look at their projected output combined with their ADP, their cost. T.Y. Hilton, he's being drafted before Dante Moncrief, and I believe Dante Moncrief will outproduce him just like you. There is one case where I think it makes sense to roster T.Y. Hilton, and that's this week 
in daily. I mean, this week on DraftKings, this week on FanDuel, you can't get off T.Y. Hilton because he's only $6,800, Davis. How is that possible? I mean, I, I will say this. I do worry a little bit about Hilton anytime he faces a team with a super elite cornerback, Darius Slay, because he does not he does not have the tools to break them down. He just doesn't. So Darius Slay's now officially elite? Okay, maybe not super elite, but uh, my favorite thing, and honestly, the only film I, I watch super intently is cornerbacks because I find cornerback play to be super fascinating. I think that... It's hard, man. Really, I think that really good corners are probably the most talented players in football. I think that they have the hardest ask, and I think that to do their job well, you just kind of have to be like a next-level evolved form of humanity to be a really good cornerback. Physically and mentally. Physically and mentally, yeah, because you have to make decisions in milliseconds as a cornerback, or you're giving up 80-yard touchdowns. So we're sure Slay's going to match up with Hilton, not Moncrief? Uh, see, that's that, that would be the rub, because it's entirely possible— that opposing coordinators are like, well, who do I worry about stopping, right? Well, we know when asked that Bill Belichick said that they were most fearful of Dante Moncrief when they played the Colts. He's already been on record well, Bill, saying Bill that. Belichick, Bill Belichick is very smart. What I'm saying is, in the collective conscience of the NFL coaching community, Moncrief's starting to leak into there. Like, they're starting to get it. Like, this guy's scary. I just, I just don't know if I can give the Detroit Lions coaching staff that much credit. I could absolutely be wrong, though. Well, that's my problem, is I'm not sure who Slay is going to match up with, and I'm also not sure how good Slay is yet. Without being able to label Slay as a shutdown corner and without having good visibility into who he's going to match up with, it becomes very difficult to get off that $6,800 T.Y. Hilton because I believe that's the game to play. We talk about stacking games now, not just stacking teams. Mm -hmm. And if you lowered all their salaries across the board, New Orleans and Oakland, you couldn't get me to roster those players except for Colby Fleener. You just can't do it. Because I am super overweight over on that Indianapolis-Detroit game. I think that's the game to play. That's the game with the highest probability of checking in at 45-40 in terms of a scoreboard. I don't disagree with that. I know, I like uh, Golden Tate and Marvin Jones. I'll say this. I'll take them for my like cash lineups definitely over Hilton. I, I like especially Marvin Jones on DraftKings. He's going to be like the ultimate chalk. I think he is just like a straight up chalk play. How is Golden Tate, Marvin Jones, not the ultimate cash game chalk play of the week? My deal is, is because the way week one worked out because of Dak Prescott, because of James White, because of Spencer Ware, I think that the move is to go Dak and then Julio and Odell and then a, a cheap third guy. Right. I'm all just Antonio Brown or Julio Jones at the top, but I can see Antonio Brown and Julio Jones and then Golden Tate and Marvin Jones and then just filling in with Spencer Wares. It's a lot of inexpensive tight ends. The playerprofiler.com lineup optimizer, the machine really wants to play two tight end lineups in GPPs on DraftKings this week. Is that crazy? I mean, it's always a viable strategy because you're going to get a really differentiated lineup. But I think especially with week one pricing inefficiencies, it seems kind of silly. Like, I think you could play Fleener and Allen. Like, I, th I kind of like that combo. I'd love to play Eric Ebron if he was healthy. Eric Ebron would be such a great stack to just get those yes. get those Lions receivers that, because they're going to hog the target share on the outside, Tate and Jones, and then sneak in Ebron. Oh, my God. I think that would just be so great. But 
every time I see that Q next to his name and I know that he's trending toward game time decision, I can't do it. Kobe Fleener is that guy that's just always staring you in the face in every type of lineup. He's just always staring you in the face. You know, somehow someone talked me into getting off Kobe Flaner. I mean, I'm playing him on FanDuel. Of course you are. I'm I like it just just straight up I can tell you that is a that is a mortal certainty that will be happening. <laughs> but what about Corey Coleman? We have Corey Coleman as a top 24 option this week. I know that the Philadelphia secondary is supposedly improved, but when we talk about target share, no Josh Gordon and Terrell Pryor has never played the wide receiver position in a regular season game ever. So that leaves Corey Coleman, who looks strikingly similar to Odell Beckham Jr., just looking at the metrics on playerprofiler.com. You also drafted Corey Coleman in the Friends of Roto World draft. So what's your take on Corey Coleman this year and then this week also? Um, I mean, my take on Corey Coleman from a seasonal perspective is if you're not like completely overweight on him, you probably did draft season wrong. (laughs) He was the guy who looked most like a wide receiver one that you could take later. Yes. I was drafting him in the sixth round in June, assuming that he was going to be one of those risers and that he would be like a Mirabdullah in August. He would be drafted in the fourth round by the end of August, but it never fired. The ADP rise never took off with Corey Coleman. In fact, his ADP regressed. He went from being drafted in the sixth round to the seventh round and the eighth round. Suddenly I'm seeing people drafting him in the ninth and 10th round. I'm like, I'm like, guys, guys, this is the number one receiver on a team that's going to be losing all year. And he has one of those special athletic profiles. And oh, by the way, he also happened to score 20 touchdowns at Baylor last year across four different quarterbacks. That dude was put on this earth to score football touchdowns. That is his purpose for being. He shreds. He just shreds. He just shreds the football field. You know those table saws, right? You know those table saws? They have that blade where you just you cut wood. Do you ever do any wood cutting? You're, you're out of my realm of experience. So anyway, they have these round blades, and they're for cutting wood. They're table saw blades, skill saw blades. I sort of imagine Corey Coleman as a superhero with those skill saw blades on his feet because of the way he cuts and the way he's able to move upfield once he captures the ball, his ability to to compile yards after the catch. It's almost like he has these special blades on his feet and he's able to get traction that no other player can get on the football field. It's almost like all the players around him are on skates and he's the only one that's actually on solid turf. Am I wrong? No, I mean, legitimately, Corey Coleman was a guy who you saw him. like. So I've seen Corey Coleman play live, actually, and he just looks like a different product than everyone else on the field. He's just right. – like, and I'm, I'm in on this Browns offense. One of my hot takes this year was oh, that yeah. they finished the NFL in top 10 and points scored. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, Coleman, is, Coleman will lead that team in receiving production for sure. Yeah, you don't want the running backs on the bad teams. You don't want Carlos Hyde. You don't want Isaiah Crowell. You want the wide receivers on those teams, 
And the Correct. wide receiver on the bad team that you should be targeting most heavily is Corey Coleman. If you're not targeting Jordan Matthews, we also have Jordan Matthews as a top 24 option this week going against the Cleveland Browns because the Cleveland Browns have Joe Hayden. He had a bad year last year, inefficient cornerback last year, but he is still Joe Hayden. He's not 30 yet, so he's still in his prime and he has that elite corner pedigree and there's also questions about who he'll match up with as well and so if he ends up matching up with Doro Green Beckham on the outside that's gonna leave Jordan Matthews to be running free underneath and have a potential 10 11 12 reception game yeah completely like I mean I'm a well-known Jordan Matthews truther uh all-time SEC leader in receptions and yards by a healthy amount in both of those by a wide margin by a wide all time all time the SEC Conference. You guys heard of it? Anyone anyone familiar? Anybody? Heard of the SEC Conference? Pretty good receivers come out of there? Just a few. <laughs> He's awesome, Davis. He is. And, you know, I, I think that uh, this Carson Wentz thing could be good for him because Wentz will take shots. Wentz will take chances. And that is the antithesis of Sam Bradford. Right. Sam Bradford was good for Ertz and Sproles, and that's about it. If you own a wide receiver, if you own Doral Green Beckham or Jordan Matthews, you want Carson Wentz in there because Carson Wentz was drafted because he has one of the prettiest deep balls anyone's ever seen, and Carson Wentz is super smart. I mean, he doesn't look like a smart person. When Carson Wentz walks onto a plane or walks into a, a building, and he just sort of ambles in, and he just looks like a knucklehead, and then you look at his Wonderlick score, and you say, oh, 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 you have a 40 Wonderlick. That's 93rd percentile. You're a genius on the NFL field. <laughs> There's very few NFL players that can score a 40 on the Wonderlick. This guy is one of those Andrew Luck-type intellects who he doesn't look smart, but he's actually incredibly smart and a good football decision maker. The problem is, I'm just not sure how accurate he is. He was never an accurate passer. He has a pretty deep ball and he's smart. The question is going to be the accuracy. I'm not sure. I, I He's a rookie quarterback. I mean, we don't know what he's going to be, but I do know that Jordan Matthews has the skills to bring down some balls that aren't necessarily perfectly thrown as long as he's taking shots. And I think he will. Jordan Matthews is a great play this week because the injury to the knee and Carson Wentz being named the starter both cloud Jordan Matthews' forecast and uncertainty. That's created a buying opportunity for me. So I love Jordan Matthews and I love Corey Coleman if you're not going to be doing one of these super stacks on the Detroit-Indianapolis game, for example. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I probably don't think I will have very much Matthews just because of the way pricing has shook out. But I, I see him certainly as like a good secondary guy, like a, a one-off to put in tournaments, like with your you know your Stafford, Marvin Jones stacks or whatever else. I, I totally buy That's that. That's exactly right. He's in this weird pricing range where it's hard to fit him in your lineup, actually. But I think you're exactly right. You're in these one-offs. You're going to be able to slide him in there. It's going to be great. An interesting strategy that people have talked about is team stacking, starting to incorporate the running back into your stack because why not, right? Stack, just stack, just stack, 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 and stack. And we're going to do stacks on top of stacks. And I'm going to practice with Lego blocks. I'm just have stacks of Legos and Lincoln Logs. Do you remember Lincoln Logs? Oh, no, I remember Lincoln Logs. So you got Lincoln Logs, stacking Lincoln Logs. I mean, just everything in the offseason just to train myself to stack and stack and stack. And so back to this Indianapolis-Detroit game. In the passing game, it's not crazy to play Theo Riddick, is it? 
No, I don't think so. I don't think it's crazy. I mean, you're obviously playing like, you know, Spencer Ware over him, but I don't think it's crazy at all. So what is the deal with Spencer Ware? Spencer Ware is officially a thing. He's a top 12 play just based on projections. I mean, he's he looks like he's going to be a top 10 running back this week in terms of points scored. And then you look at his salary on DraftKings and FanDuel, and you're almost obligated to put him in every lineup. But then Fantasyland just released an episode about GPPs. And a big part of that episode was about variance and about thinking outside the box, about not doing what your competitors are doing. Spencer Ware is the ultimate chalk play of the week. And at what point does ownership percentage chase you off a screaming value at running back like Spencer Ware? Well, what's the threshold? How high does the Spencer Ware ownership have to be before you get off him in GPPs? I'm more likely to fade a chalk receiver than a chalk running back in, you know, like the millionaire maker or whatever, because I think running backs are a little bit more projectable in the sense that you have more of a workload for variance to run your way or for the projection to run your way. That's right. But there's obviously, if you think a guy is going to be, you know, 40, 50% owned in this large field tournament, and you think that he doesn't reach his projection 50% of the time, you sh- that's like an easy fade. Like, and you just take someone like who you have projected slightly below, but will be owned 5%. Just very tricky when you're trying to create these sexy looking lineups and they're all predicated on Spencer Ware in GPPs. It's hard for the non-pros to get off Spencer Ware when his ownership percentage starts to climb above 30. I'll give you an easy pivot in your tournament lineups from Spencer Ware. So Spencer Ware is 4,400 on DraftKings. LeGarrette Blunt is 3,700. If you're the Patriots, the thing that makes the most sense to do for this first month when you have Jimmy Garoppolo is just run the ball as much as you possibly can. As much as you can, like forever. Like do not stop running. Just run. Yeah, yeah. and uh, they cut Tyler Gaffney. So, you know, that sort of that like they have um, who's the they have Bolden still. They have DJ Foster and they have James White. Did you listen to DJ Foster's most recent album? No, but I think he's good. No, I know he is pretty good because he was a wide receiver. I love the wide receivers turned running backs. That's what Theo Riddick was at Notre Dame. He was actually a receiver and they converted him to running back at the pros. But now they're just playing him as a slot receiver, essentially. So that's why I like stacking Theo Riddick with those receivers in Detroit You talked about New England and this idea that they're going to go run heavy. That means heavy personnel. And heavy personnel means they're going to have Rob Gronkowski and Martellus Bennett on the field at the same time. On that Fantasyland episode about GPPs that I referenced earlier, Peter Jennings suggested that the Bennett-Gronk stack would be a sneaky contrarian GPP play this year. Do you agree? In the first month especially, because that's when they're going to be pounding Blunt as they wait for Brady to get back. Yeah, so I think by like week seven, Martellus Bennett is going to be a pretty popular cash play. I think people are going to use him. They're going to see the snap counts. They're going to see Brady's back. And so I think for this first month of the season, there's going to be a lot to exploit there. Because Bennett can play in line. Bennett is a good run blocker. They're going to use him a lot. And I think... Part of the signing of Martellus Bennett was the them knowing how much they were going to run this year. I can't believe this. We're at the end of the show. I mean, we've gone through this whole show sheet. We celebrated David Johnson. We told people pretty much exactly when and how to pick up Jeff Janis. We've given you a whole bunch of DFS tips for week one. But let me get you out of here on one question that I ask everybody. Now that Jeff Janis has 
emerged. He's ascended. It happened. He's already a thing. He had the playoff game. He's already broken out. So there's no trutherism around Jeff Janis. He's already known as the truth. He already broke out. So there is no such thing as being a Jeff Janis truther. He's already been exposed as the truth. Correct. Is there another player? who is in his third, fourth, or fifth year that you qualify for truth or status on, that you're waiting patiently for him to break out, you still give him a chance. Oh, dude, it's the worst. I'm the I'm the truther for like the worst player, but it's Jason Morrow. Why not? Why not? Martellus Bennett didn't break out until he left the Cowboys and made it to the New York Giants where they appreciated him and played him regular snaps. Super frustrating as a Cowboys fan, by the way, because the potential was always there. They just never seemed dedicated to using him at all. Well, it was very similar. The criticism of Martellus Bennett was that he thought too much. He wasn't letting the game come to him. There were questions about his work ethic. And it's very similar to the criticism of Jay Samaro because Jay Samaro has a very similar profile to Martellus Bennett. These guys are both big, 265. I mean, Jace was a wide receiver in college, basically. So you can't tell me that he doesn't have great hands. I understand he's dropping some passes in practice. Okay. So did Jordy Nelson in his second and third year with Green Bay before he broke out in his fourth year. Some guys take time, particularly at the tight end position. It took Gary Barnage till age 30. It took Zach Miller on the Bears until age 31. Jason Morrow has a 105.876th percentile height adjusted speed score. He has a wide receiver background. He has the size and he has that size adjusted athleticism we're looking for. Now he's on the Titans and Delani Walker is in his early 30s. Jason Morrow is a guy that I'm still happy to stash on my dynasty teams. 100%. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, and I actually think. I, maybe this is just exposure to David Kitchen too often, who is a Titans fan, but I think there is some offensive upside there this year. Like they, Cutting McCluster was the best possible sign because that means they're done calling plays for terrible players. Nice. That's a great point. Also, they talk about the smash mouth offense, and it's going to be more difficult for Tennessee to implement an offense like that because unlike New England, they're going to be losing most of their games in the second half. They're not going to be pounding the ball and grinding the clock in the second half. But if, miraculously, Tennessee becomes a good team, becomes an above-average football team this year, they're going to be able to implement that run-heavy approach in the second half. And what does that mean? That means a lot of two tight end sets. That means Jason Morrow could go out, post a 400-yard season, and everyone would know, hey, this guy has a career in front of him. He's not washed out. The Jets made a mistake. Who are the Jets starting at tight end again? What kind of asinine move was this on the heels of the Christian Hackenberg draft pick? I mean, who the hell is running that organization? Oh, it's the worst, worst draft pick ever. Has to be, right? I mean, it was the worst draft pick followed by the worst release after the preseason. Jason Morrow was a second round pick just a few years ago at a position that has the longest development curve. I mean, what are the Jets doing? I, I mean, I don't know because they could have a great offense, right? They have all these weapons. They have like some fun running backs. They got Forte. Like Amaro would have been a perfect fit there. And I just, I just don't know what they're doing. The only good news from all this Jason Amaro business is that Quincy Anunwa will have yet even more opportunity to operate underneath and capture those targets. If you're a truther for Jason Morrow, I'm absolutely a Quincy Anunwa truther. 
I think that anytime a guy is 6'2", 220, and runs a sub 4.5040 and a plus 40% college dominator at a very low volume offense on Nebraska, I'm in. I'm buying these wide receivers on the low volume offenses with bad quarterbacks at the college level because it camouflages their ability. Yeah, could not agree. It makes them great dynasty values, whether it's Devin Funchess, whether it's Quincy Inunua. It pushes them out of the first round of the NFL draft, and it makes them very affordable in dynasty leagues, unlike Kelvin Benjamin, who had Jameis Winston feeding him targets through the national championship game to get him to 1,000 yards, then get him drafted in the first round. And that's how a wide receiver becomes perpetually overrated into his third year in the NFL, still perpetually overrated. Whereas if you target these Nebraska wide receivers, these Michigan wide receivers, these are guys that can break out because no one's actually seen them put together a thousand yard season because it was impossible for them to do that at the college level. Anunwa is an interesting one because they actually played him last year. He They kind of invented a role for him and their confidence in him playing in line every so often is part of why they cut Amaro. Right. They see him as this super cool hybrid H-back. He's almost like Tavon Austin if Tavon Austin had actual football utility. I tweeted this the other day, but I completely forgot that the Rams extended Tavon Austin. No, they didn't, did they? I didn't know that. I didn't get that news blurb. Where was I when that Roto World news blurb came out? Dude, he's making like $9 million a year. What? No, he's not. I don't believe this. I'm going to over the cap right now. Over the cap. Oh my God, you can't be serious. Yeah, they gave him extra money. No, 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 no. I I lied. Uh, His cap hit next year is 12 million. (laughs) He got a four year, $42 million contract. (laughs) Unreal. I'm not into argument radio. What we'll do is we'll just hear your side and then I'll say some stuff and then we'll go on to the next thing. You love, you love argument radio. Get this shit out of here. You love it. Get this shit out of here. You love it. Uh, (laughs) This is how I prep people to get them in the right frame of mind. (laughs) Fuck Aaron Rodgers. How'd it work out last year, Aaron? No, yeah, exactly. Okay, with James Jones, your buddy. <laughs> you know those table saws, they have that blade where you just you cut wood. Do you ever do any wood cutting? You're you're out of my realm of experience. He got a four year forty two million dollar contract. <laughs> I lied. Uh his cap hit next year is twelve million. <laughs> He got a four-year, $42 million contract. (laughs) Unreal.